Hello. Hey, Tommy. Hey. What's going on? Nothing. Hey, I'm going to interview uh, Lori Walkie here in just about 20 minutes. Awesome. And I got to thinking that you might have a question for her. I know you've done some reading, and you and I have had lots of conversations. So, yeah. Can you think of one real quick? Um, let's see. Uh, the biggest one would probably be, um, how did you overcome the stigma that women can only do a few things in church? Ooh, good question. Well, Lori's a, a associate minister of Mayflower Congregational Church here in Oklahoma mm -hmm. City, and uh, she's a cousin to some of Kimberly's friends in high school. So I'll uh, awesome. I'll uh, pass your question on, and uh, you'll get to listen here in a little bit. Well, I look forward to hearing. All right. Well, have a good day. Thanks. You too. Bye. Hello, this is Todd Littleton with Pathological, the podcast for the pastor theologian. The podcast where we look at the intersection of life, faith, and how we talk about that from our relationship with God who's active in the world. And so we call that theological reflection. It's been a, a while since we've uh, posted a, a podcast number of reasons for that, getting back in the rhythm, and so certainly appreciate you uh, tuning in and downloading, and uh, if you've got friends or those you know might benefit, if you could uh, share the podcast, that would be great. If you've yet to give us a rating or a review on iTunes, that really help us stay in um, folks' uh, memories and, and uh, get us out there to where we can maybe be of service and help to um, more folks. And uh, today, I'm, I'm, I'm glad, as you've already heard, to have Lori Walkie on the podcast. She is Associate Minister at Mayflower Congregational Church in Oklahoma City. And I've wanted to talk to Lori, and our schedule's finally meshed where I could get her on the phone and we could have a, a conversation, and it was a really enjoyable conversation. And I hope you will um, uh, be uh, prompted to think and to reflect and to engage. And so if you uh, have a, a question, comment, reflection, uh, send me an email at uh, docpodd at gmail.com, doc.todd at gmail.com. Or you can leave a comment on uh, the Facebook page where this also gets posted. And um, I'll have a, a couple of uh, announcements at the uh, on the other side. So for now, here's my conversation with Lori. That is the uh, consequence. Got a grandson, and <clears throat> we have to kind of watch how often he goes out because he's got asthma. And uh, I mean, just in a you know, in a turn, yeah. of a turn of a dime, he can he can uh, experience some really bad effects from all the cottonwood and junk floating around. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, I'm, I appreciate you taking uh, some time to uh, chat on the phone and uh, just give you a kind of quick. What I normally do, uh, normally just have a conversation. I got some thoughts in my head, and I just kind of. You're a basketball player, so you know how to. Uh, um, you feed off each other, and you just kind of keep playing until you find a good open shot, and you, you hit the shot, and there you go. So yeah, sounds that's, good. That, that's really it. So uh, one one of the things that that um, I wanted to talk to you about is so you grew up in Oklahoma. Did you grow up more? Or did you grow? You didn't grow up out here in Tuttle, did you? No, no, my grandparents live in Tuttle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know your cousins. 
uh, Kimberly graduated. My oldest graduated with both the twins. So, yes. So I, I know them. And in fact, I drove your uh, grandparents around when they were citizens of the year uh, yeah. <laughs> at, the, at the ice cream festival parade. So, yes, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. That was 2012. Yes, it was. It's, uh, gosh, it's, uh, that's, I didn't realize it's been five years. I know. The reason I remember that is my, my niece is five years old, and that was the year she was born. Ah. It seems so crazy. Yeah, yeah, it does. So, um, uh, did you, I mean, when, when did you uh, have the sense that you wanted to be a, a pastor? Loaded well, I'll t- yeah, I'll tell you, Todd, it's, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and you can, I can look, um, look at my childhood and, and, uh, the way I was raised and, and I can say with, with a lot of confidence that, um, God had always placed a, a call to ordained ministry on my life. Uh, but because I was uh, raised in a tradition that did not ordain women, that was not the obvious choice for me. Um, but I was raised by very, very faithful people. Um, my parents included, uh, the church that raised me. Um, and they taught me how to, they taught me how to be a a pastor. Um, I think without, without knowing that that's what they were, (laughs) that's what they were doing. Um, but it was, it was at the point that I actually physically saw a woman in a robe and stole and preaching behind a pulpit uh, when I was 24 and in the, my second year of law school that I said, oh, like that's what I'm supposed to be when I grow up. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. where, were you, where were you at law school? Oklahoma City okay. Law School. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So did you finish that or did you stop? I and, did. Okay. <clears throat> I did. I, I finished law school. I took the bar exam in July of 2009, <clears throat> started seminary in August of 2009 and then found out I passed the bar exam in September of 2009. <laughs> oh, no, so wa- no, a- wonder, no wonder you're such a sharp thinker and uh, so adept uh, at the, uh, the state house. Well, I tell you that I, law school and seminary are, are similar in that uh, they don't tell you what to think, but they do teach you how to think. And I really appreciate uh, both of those education experiences. And uh, people ask all the time, "Well, well, do you do? How do you use your law degree?" And I, um, and and that's part of using my law degree is is critical thinking and being able to argue both sides of of uh, of an issue. And uh, and I also tell them that I can read really fast, which is. <laughs> This is a side effect of law school. That's exactly right. You do have to learn that skill. You, you know, when you uh, when you made that made that reference, um, I, I couldn't help but thinking uh, what a great line they taught me: how to think, not what to think. And, yeah. Uh, um, that had to be a little bit of o- overcoming because if you if you raise in in, in a particular context where that option wasn't available uh, for um, a woman to, to pastor that, uh, um, you know, you're, you're almost indoctrinated in how to think about that. Mm-hmm. So somewhere you you uh, uh, found a rupture for that. 
and said, ah, they, they've taught me how to pastor, they, they unwittingly, and, and now I know, have the skill to, to think, and now I'm going to put, put that to work. Yeah, I think, uh, like most people, I, I get to blame my parents for this, actually. Um, I have three sisters, so my parents had four daughters, no sons, wow. and I was raised uh, um, in the with the idea that there's nothing a girl cannot do. Um, I would, we would help dad build five wire, five string barbed wire fence. Oh yeah. Um, when he needed help outside, my mom mowed on our 1950s Ford tractor, <laughs> um, and my dad knew how to use hot sticks curlers, uh, which if you were a kid in the eighties, a girl in the eighties, you know what hot sticks are. Yeah, exactly. Um, but he could wield a, a curling iron when he needed to. (laughs) Good. Uh, so, you know, um, gender roles were not, uh, something that was strongly emphasized. Uh, everybody did what they could to help the family. And so I think that, um, when that is really a, a deep foundation, a true foundation, um, that sort of, in a way, uh, helped in, in, in rethinking some things that the church actually had taught me about sexism. Uh-huh. Good, good. Well, you know, um, in, in thinking about that, a lot of people take that particular description um, and they don't know what to do about difference in gender roles, and so they collapse the the fact that the almost a genderless conversation rather than an uh, an increased appreciation of difference and and that and that we're not talking about collapsing uh, into a, a genderless matrix but instead we're we're really talking about appreciating difference yeah that's that's absolutely right right i i totally agree with that um and that and that the difference should be differences should be celebrated um, but and and that we need to really make sure that uh, we're celebrating differences and not just putting uh, cosmetic um, roles, forcing people into into boxes. And uh, I I talk about this a lot at um, with our kiddos at church that uh, we all need to learn to be caregivers, mm-hmm. boys and girls alike. Um, we all need to learn how to think and be compassionate. And, um, those are things that, uh, it doesn't matter if you're a boy or a girl, uh, but that you have to be able to do, but that it is likely that we'll, we'll all be, we'll all do those things a little differently. Sure. No, that's, that's really good. I, you know, I have, I didn't, I didn't have four girls, but I've got two and, uh, you know, sometimes it takes some convincing still, uh, at their age to uh, remind them that there isn't anything they can't do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so we, we, uh, I've got, I've got two, well, I've got three grandsons and, and a, a granddaughter will be born next month. And, um, one of my, one of my grandsons and I were having a conversation recently and he got the idea in his head that because of his stature, he, he wasn't going to be able to do much when he got bigger. And, uh, and so we had to have one of those, uh, those conversations that oh, you can do anything, you know, my, my favorite book growing up was Waddy Piper's the little engine that could. So yes. there wasn't anything you can't do. And, and that, that was, uh, it's always been kind of a mantra. So I can appreciate your encouraging young people to realize there isn't anything they can't do. I, I've got a young guy in our church who's 
going back to school after I think 15 or 17 years and it's a big struggle. And I just said, listen, you're young. You're anything you can't do. So let's get after it. I think that's a good message for everybody. Yeah, I think so. I recently heard a, a statement um, and I, I don't know who to attribute this to, but um, basically the gist is people overestimate what they can do in one year and they underestimate what they can do in five years. That's great. And I, uh, I went to school when I started law school, I actually started in the night evening program, part-time evening program. Uh, and so I was in class as a 23, 24 year old with, uh, um, with, with people who were going back and starting a second career. And then when I went to seminary, um, a lot of most of the folks I was in class with were also second career seminarians. Uh, and that just completely reinforced the idea that, hey, we never stop learning. You can, there's never a time that you can't push the reset button. Um, sure, things might be hard and you have to work out the details. But if you got a dream, if, if you need to retool, you can do it. That's, that's good. And that's terribly encouraging. I, I wonder, um, this is kind of an aside, I, I can hear you kind of uh, encouraging the young ladies at Girls State last week. I, one of our, one of our uh, kids was over there, and, and they absolutely loved Lori. <laughs> that is one of the most fun things and encouraging, personally encouraging things to be in a room with 400 young women, I, and I tease them a little bit that the that they're they're real, they are political nerds because the first thing they've chosen to do in the summer before their senior year of high school is go to politics camp, and they are my kind of people. There you go. Yeah, now I wanted to kind of move into that a little bit because. You know, that's where I've seen you at work, um, you know, mostly. We've, we've crossed paths, but that's where I really kind of observe and watch a little bit from a distance and run into you at the at Capitol time or two. But, but um, there, there's, a, there's a real strong passion there. And, um, and, and so I, I'm, I'm kind of interested how you, um, what your theological commitments are that prompt that particular engagement. Um, yeah, I, you know, politics, uh, is, uh, I think that as, uh, the church, as we, as the church becomes what the church will become, I think that politics is going to play a really big role in that. And I think that's because the gospel is political and people aren't used to hearing that. Um, and, and I think that a lot, um, a lot of folks confuse being political with being partisan. And those are two very different things. Politics comes from the uh, the Greek word polis, which means of the city. And so politics are those things that shape the city, the norms and the, the laws and the policies that we craft together to, to live together. And then partisanship is behavior that harasses an enemy. <laughs> and those have been <laughs> confu confused a bit. Um, but when, but the church definitely, definitely needs to have a voice in shaping the city. Uh, and that's my commitment as a pastor and, and, um, as a pastor of a congregation who is also very committed to shaping the kind of city we want to live in a city that is, um, fair and, and just and welcoming. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, I've I've gotten uh, uh, into trouble over that distinction or the lack of that distinction being received. Maybe is a better way to put it. And I don't I don't think necessarily it's it's uh, rises from a, a predisposition to being an an adversary. But I I really think that the climate that we're in and have been in really for probably at least twenty years has been um, where we just automatically assume politics is partisanship. So I think the distinction you have made is, is really, really helpful. I, I think that people, um, I, I've, I say this a lot, um, and I, I really believe that Christians, um, we've, we've got to start making that our primary identifier, our primary label is that I am a Christian instead of I'm a Republican or a Democrat or an independent or a libertarian. Um, we've sort of fallen into this trap of using a partisan label as our primary identifier when as the body of Christ, our, our primary label, our primary identifier is, is actually Christian, a nonpartisan, um, a nonpartisan uh, label. Yeah, I was, uh, I emailed though. One of my legislators some time ago, and um, the the quick retort was that I had been um, mining articles from quote the other side, and I had to reply that uh, no, that this is actually convictional. It didn't stem right. from some statistics gleaned from. Uh, either a leftward think tank or a rightward think tank, but that mm-hmm. the issue that was being considered had its own certain um, ethical um, framework that needed to be explored aside from uh, trying to get enough votes to, to say you pass some legislation, which sometimes I think, you know, is, is kind of the mark of a successful politician. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and that's unfortunate because sometimes we'll pass really bad stuff so that we can say we at least got something through. Right. Um, but, but this kind of gets, gets to a little bit deeper level that, that when we talk about uh, the kind of city that we want to create, the, the kind of place we want to live, and the role that we have in forming that, a lot of folks are critical about a, um, a, a perceived um, self... Um, asserted pro- prophetic role. And, and so I, I, uh, I make it put that a little bit better. And what I mean by that is, is kind of this ongoing conversation with a, another, a pastor on the East Coast. And, and um, he, he kind of asserts that, that the prophetic actually is something that captures you. You don't decide you're going to be. And uh, uh, it kind of takes the prophets and the scriptures, you know, kind of as, as Ill- illustrative. But you're you wear that mantle really well. I'm not suggesting in any way that you've, you know, set out to decide that. I think it's a product of your commitments. Is that fair? Yeah, I I, I think that that's a that's a fair uh, assessment. Um, I was fortunate to be the chaplain of the week for the Oklahoma Legislature for the House. Um, the week of Holy Week, actually, it was Holy Week, I and remember. and. Uh, that my 
the the responsibilities basically include a a short prayer at the to open the session every day of the week Monday through Thursday, and it uh, my prayers caused a little a little um, kerfluffle yes. I would say, yes. and there were some folks who the the basically that the rule is you cannot talk policy, and um, and I I believe that I was I was true to that that rule. Um, however, on my, in my prayer on Tuesday, I did, I, I prayed f- based on a Psalm, uh, and, uh, and, and, and said, you know, out, you know, scripture tells us that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks and, uh, and that our budget was going to tell us about our morals and our values and, and, and my, my hope that, uh, that out of the the overflow of our heart, our budget would speak, um, speak fairness and, and justice and, and love, um, that we can care for the least of these. And, um, that upset some folks. Uh, and there was some accusations that, uh, I had gone in and knew I was going to upset people. And the, the truth is I, we did not, my, my spouse who is a representative, he uh, he didn't ask me to be chaplain of the week because we wanted to cause trouble, and I don't want to cause him any more trouble than he already <laughs> has to deal with up there. Um, but I did I did uh, I took that that role as um, as a a public person of public prayer very seriously, and uh, my theology of public prayer is that it is that you know as you're praying in public, you're speaking things, uh, calling out, uh, in the public square, um, calling people to faithfulness. Um, just as, as, you know, as you referenced our, our prophetic tradition, um, and that, uh, you know, prayer is not perfunctory. It's not window dressing. Um, and if we are Christians who take prayer very seriously, um, then, you know, we're, we're going to have a prayer that, uh, makes our makes our own hearts uncomfortable, um, and uh, and I think that that's a that's a really it's a serious task. Oh, I don't think there's any doubt about it. I you know I absolutely loved your prayer. I've I I pulled it up, watched it again. Um, I I love the uh, uh, photo <laughs> as you're standing, standing there praying on your Facebook page. And here here's the other thing though, you know, if someone would have taken enough time. Prior to that, and of course I know not everybody's on social media and they don't have time to check it, but if they really wanted to find out, like, okay, let's find out, did, did Lori decide she's going to go cause trouble in her prayer? If they read your pastoral prayers that you post almost every week, it would have been no surprise. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, you know, I had, uh, I think I started posting those pastoral prayers that we, I use in, in our worship services, maybe a year, maybe two years started doing that. Um, just as a, as a, a way to, uh, you know, it's just a, it's just another piece of ministry and, um, and you don't know what effect, um, these prayers are going to have, but you put them out there because, well, um, God, you know, God calls. Yes. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it, that was an interesting to, there were some folks who, who, uh, 
were like, oh, of course that's what you prayed. <laughs> and then there were some folks who have, you know, aren't on, um, you know, social media who thought, wait, I've never heard anybody pray like that. And right. I thought, well, uh, actually I know quite a few, quite a few, um, pastors who, who, uh, who, uh, really take public prayer seriously. And I hope to be counted among them. Yeah, I, I think that I think the one thing that, that you pointed out that's really, really helpful, especially to those who be listening and trying to you know, grasp what role public prayer can make is, is that it is that it was at the intersection of, you know, encountering the scripture that provoked how would that speak to us today? I, I don't I don't I don't know why anyone would have difficulty with that unless they grew up with the divide between uh, doctrine and ethics and and then the church entering public space and you, you ought to just kind of avoid that yeah i mean i know that that is that's that's certainly um the way some churches function and and you know my response to that is um you know jesus certainly didn't model that kind of church no uh, he was an instigator and a rabble rouser and they killed him for it that's exactly right uh, and that's uh, that's a very that is a sobering uh, s- sobering story um, but it's but it's our story um, and the church has um, abdicated its its um, its role as a moral voice as a prophetic voice and it's really time that we we start reclaiming that, um, so that um, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yes, you know, I saw your uh, uh, shot of your sermon preparation this week or your study this week, and you had uh, said you were hanging out with Walt, and I, I'm th- <laughs> I'm thinking about that that uh, little book he's got, the word that redescribes the world, and oh, yeah. and I think that I think that. Um, we miss that, that, that I, and this just popped, this just came to me that, you know, there's a tradition out there that has often talked about, you know, speak things into being, but it does tend to be a little bit self-aggrandizing um, uh, or um, for, you know, purely kind of, I'm going to say these good things so God will give me these good things. What you're describing is public public praying or public speaking that uh, forms the world different um, not not for my benefit but for the benefit of others and particularly anybody who's been othered and that's, that, right. that's a whole different word that, that we speak and and, and um, I'm not so sure if it's just our penchant for individualism in our country I don't know if it's our ruggedness from you know the the mid Midwest or Southern Midwest or, or what it is, but it does seem to be deeply ingrained that we are very protectionistic. And, uh, as, as such, we have a hard time with any word that, um, challenges, you know, what might be our already givens. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, you know, we've got a, we got a story for that. The story of the rich young ruler, um, who walks away from Jesus so disappointed. Yeah. Um, and, and more often than not, I, and, and much to our disappointment, we are very often in the role of that rich young ruler who doesn't, you know, isn't interested in giving up what Jesus knows to be where his, you know, where his heart is. Right. Um, and, and that's, that's the, 
that's a hard pill to swallow. Very hard. You know, we, we don't like to be a very self-aware culture. We want people to be aware of us, but we don't necessarily want to be terribly aware of ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think, um, and I, I, I actually will blame some of that on, um, on pastors. We've, uh, I, I think that preaching, the task of preaching, uh, has moved into a little bit of a um, self-help. Uh, every Sunday, you can get a get a forty-five minute pep talk yep. um, instead of a forty-five minute challenge um, call uh, call to action. And uh, it's not that the um, the the preacher shouldn't focus on um, personal growth, uh, but, um, but we're called as a church to change the world. Um, and, and that, uh, that comes in very practical ways, like showing up at the, at the Capitol or city council meetings or, uh, school board meetings, um, and making sure that everybody's, uh, got a voice and, and is at the table. Yeah. That- uh, that's a that's another area I was thinking about because um, you know you you have um, a real streak of being in what might, some might call an activist or community organizer and, and and having now served on it's my second term on city council in in, uh, in Tuttle I I've learned that um, the thing that gets people uptight the most are only those things that. Uh, affect them. Mm. And so the idea um, we're struggling with is how to how to promote a little more participation, how to get more people involved. But when when at heart is you're only interested in yourself and you're not interested necessarily in a broader scope or, or how even the fact that you might want something could actually disadvantage somebody else, you're only going to be involved at the point at which you feel your particular way is threatened and you're not thinking beyond that and uh, how have, how have you tried to work uh, in the the spaces that you inhabit to help you know generate a little more awareness that this is something we do for others we're not out there advocating for me right yeah you know i think this um that community organizing, community organizing, I didn't really get involved or know anything about community organizing um, really until about 2010 and uh, have have really kind of um, really tried to um, read and participate and, and learn as much as I can about it. And I think it's an incredible model and it's really based on relationships. Um, so when I sit down to talk to somebody in a community organizing context, or really to be frank, as a pastor, my role, my job is to get them to talk about themselves. And one of the things that I do, the question is what keeps you up at night? That, that question, what keeps you up at night? What worries you? And get them to kind of talk about that. And then I become a story collector and I, um, so then it's not just a one-on-one meeting that I have, you know, we might have a, a house meeting and there might be 10 folks. And during that house meeting, we tell each other our stories, what keeps you up at night. And there are threads all over the place, common threads uh, that link us 
Um, and I've really started trying to, to think about this in the context of, of the church and Christianity. And I kind of imagine Jesus as a community organizer, this guy who started collecting fishermen mm-hmm. and women uh, you know, he had a gaggle of women yes, uh, who supported him the whole time. Um, you know, first at the cross, last, you know, last at the cross, first at the tomb. Right. Um, and he collected those stories and, and then connected them, co- connected those those folks and reminded them how quite fr- how um, how connected they were to each other. And this is uh, this is the church. That's how the the church was born. Um, when they in Acts, when it talks about the first deacons, um, you know, the problem actually was that the the town was complaining that the Christians weren't taking care of their widows. Mm-hmm. And so the first, you know, the the the, the disciples said, "Okay, we got to take care of this." And so then they ordained some deacons, including Stephen. And, uh, and they did, that, that's how they made sure that they were um, working for the good of the community. Um, and I think that that's the future of the church rests very heavily on um, whether or not we're willing to hear each other, to listen to each other's stories and find those places where, um, where we connect and then, and then work together to, to, um, to, you know, raise everybody up. Right, right. Yeah, I like the, uh, the image of, of, of Jesus collecting stories so long, and, and, and particularly if we kind of keep in mind that stories are our people. And, and, and you know, normally mm-hmm. in, we, in church, we count people. Mm-hmm. So people are numbers, not stories. That's right. And, and, um, and especially when we kind of moved into the, 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 the church growth uh, movement era of the history of the, the modern church, is, is it, it really became less about the stories and more about the numbers. Mm-hmm. And I think even in the conversations about decline, um, uh, numbers, you know, fading uh, or falling off, I, I think that, you know, that's also, a, a, you know, a missed emphasis that what that may mean is we're missing stories. And That's we're, right. We're talking about missing numbers. And, That's uh, right. And I think that that is a really important uh, distinction. And, uh, and I think you've done, done well. I, I, I'm going to have to hold on to that image of, of Jesus collecting stories. Quite a few. Quite a few. Uh, yeah. Uh, stories, yeah. Uh, collecting. So, uh, I do yeah. think that, that uh, distinction between... Uh, quantity and and quality is something the church is going to have to start really i think it is already wrestling with it um you know church regular church attendance is defined very differently than what it was 40 50 years ago it sure is um does that mean that that's bad that you know regular church attendance is like twice a month instead of four every time the doors are open not in my mind, because if those people are also showing up when we, you know, work down at the Homeless Alliance to feed folks um, or they participate in, in other ways, uh, they're civically engaged 
um, in the, because their faith compels them to show up at the Capitol or city council or the school board meeting. Um, that's the church to me. And uh, we've uh, we got to really work hard to, to change that ingrained. Let's just stick to the numbers. Uh, you know, are, are we growing? Um, that that's the, I, I think that's our, that's the church's challenge for sure. Yeah. And I think, the, uh, I, I, I think that one of the things that we have to do along the way is um, since we're talking about influence, impact, um, participating in creating the world that, and, and the cities and the places that we want to live and, and uh, that, that would benefit, be fair and just and, and uh, welcoming. I, I think we, we've got to also recognize that in, in my growing up and, and even in some criticisms uh, from time to time that, could, that, that some of lodges, well, you know, you just you need to go to the coffee shop. And uh, I, I don't mind going to the coffee shop, but what ends up happening to the coffee shop is just a bunch of gossip. And, um, and so um, I think there may be more strategic places to be. And so when, when we talk about school board or city council or state house or any other kind of civic engagement, you know, we, ha- we still suffer this divide that, that um, it's almost like, you know, we've got a, a, uh, we got a role to play over here and it shouldn't be influenced by this role to play over here. And, and, uh, um, and, and so that the, the idea that, that this is a, a role of the church, this is a, this is a place the church uh, demonstrates its witness to the risen Christ is in the activities that um, bear that, you know, good news. Uh, That's right. Out, out in the streets, you know, not, not, uh, not exclusively in those places that you're, you know, where you feel safe to go, but, but uh, uh, sometimes it's not too safe to go to the state house. No, <laughs> that is right. That's right. And um, I mean, I just said that your whole, what you just said, I mean, all I can say is amen. I mean, that's, that's what we're called to do. Yeah. Well, if you were going to um, um, uh, kind of describe um, how you uh, in, engage advocacy, because that, that's, you know, we, we hit on community organizing, but you're also a, a really strong advocate, um, and I know that those, you know, go hand in hand. They they do work a bit differently, just in terms of their mechanics, because a lot of times advocacy is actually speaking for people who don't have a voice. And, mm-hmm. and so, um, what are what are some uh, habits you have that um, sensitize you, as well as then put you in places where? you know, you are aware of who needs to be advocated for. And, and I, I don't mean to minimize the fact that we can look at the scriptures and we know the, the characteristic places, widows, orphans, mm-hmm. strangers, aliens. But, but, but we've got to put faces with that, and we've mm-hmm. got to find out where those things happen. And, and, and so what are some, what are some habits you have? Well, uh, I tell you that um, the the sort of process that I just described, these one-on-one meetings and like, uh, you know, smaller house meetings that eventually go in, you know, into a bigger setting where it's a a whole, you know, a sanctuary full of of people telling their stories. um, That's a, that's a practice. That's a um, habit 
that we need to get into, I think, is uh, being very intentional about learning somebody else's story. It's so easy, as you know, to (laughs) sit in the same pew every Sunday. Mm -hmm. That's your spot. You know who's sitting on your left and your right, but you may not know who's sitting a couple rows behind you or in front of you. Um, And just a little thing like that, just deciding to sit in a different place or sitting next to someone you don't know with the intention of connecting to them, that's a, I, I consider that a spiritual practice. Yeah. Um, and, and then when you hear these stories, you know, um, that's actually, you said um, community organizing advocacy, advocacy goes hand in hand um, because of the process. And that's right. Uh, because, um, because I know some stories like a, to take a particular issue, I, I know stories um, of folks who have been caught in the debt trap of predatory payday lending. Mm-hmm. Um, I know their stories. I know lots of stories. Um, and I, I myself actually have uh, never had to take out a payday loan, never been tempted to take out a payday loan. But um, I have some really heartbreaking stories that um, of folks who need me to, to speak publicly about this. Um, and to advocate for them and, and not just for them individually, but, you know, a lot of the stories are um, my brother, you know, this, this happened to my brother, this happened to my aunt or my parents. Um, and I don't even know where to begin. I feel like a, a lone individual. I'm by myself and um, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know how to, I don't know how to deal with this. Um, and that's when, uh, and then that's when people, neighbors, help neighbors and say, all right, well, let's let's tell your story. Because um, I don't think people, because pe- people need to hear this. People just don't know what's going on. Um, and, and then we'll, and then let's see, let's see how, who we can talk to that can change this. <clears throat> yeah, you've, uh, when I, when I listened to you describe that, uh, especially like payday lending, uh, payday loans, um, really disappointing how that, that turned out, that, that legislation turned out where some actually thought they were doing someone a favor. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of uh, baffling. But but what came to mind, too, is is that uh, the, the one thing that happens for those who get caught in that trap is shame and embarrassment. Yeah. So when they get ready to tell those stories, they, they actually don't because then they – you know, it draws a lot of attention to the reasons why they were forced. And it, it can be any number of reasons. But folks who look from the outside in tend to be judgmental and think, well, if they were, if they worked harder, if they had a better job, if they had a better education, and, and you just don't know all the details of the story. And, and, and to me, it, it is when you come alongside and advocate for people in that particular, let's use that as an illustration, that particular kind of set of circumstances, you're actually coming alongside and helping bear their shame. That's right. Um, yeah. Because when someone enters into that with you, then, and you aren't alone, and you have someone who you can share that with, who you can develop trust, and they will, they will speak for you, and, um, and they will um, uh, take up a cause to, yeah. to try to, uh, you know, restrict and, and even put an end to that sort of practice. 
<laughs> you know, that's a Jesus-y thing to do. You, you're buried in someone's shame. It, it, it you know. Yeah. It, 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 we, we don't, we don't like our own shame. We, we don't want to bury anybody else's. But that's sure, what was done for us, you know. And, yeah, and, and, that's and, absolutely right. Yeah. And I, and I think that I think that sometimes we just don't think. Uh, you know, go back to you know, where you began. I, I just sometimes think, uh, believe, I should say that, that that we don't think very critically. That that we've somehow we've somehow negated that that the faith, that Christianity, that, that following Jesus requires much thinking. And in um, our world's too complex relationally and and such that we can't afford not to think. Yeah, I mean, that is really right. Jesus never laid out uh, like a set of creeds and uh, believe this, believe this, believe this. He repeatedly says, go and do, go and do, go and do. Um, and uh, that's where we've got we've to start um, trusting Jesus, <laughs> yeah, that's right. quite frankly. That's right, that's um, right. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, you know, that's our primary, that's our, that's our label, that's our label. So let's, um, he, he set a, a pretty great example. Um, so let's, let's take him seriously. Yeah. And I think when you said, you know, you pointed out that Jesus said, go and do, go and do. I think we missed that the going and doing is formative. Yeah. I mean, we, we think the, the going and doing is, is, um, is, is, is is really just sort of I, I got to check these off of my to do list, mm. and and we yeah. don't think about the doing is actually formative. I mean, when you send the disciples out, well before they have actually grasped everything that Jesus has said and done, clearly evidenced by Peter, um, right. they're still going out and doing, and the doing was formative for them, so that maybe That's by right. the time Peter arrived at a later stage in life, he could actually see that there were um, there was a great tapestry of the nations and not just his own ethnic group of people that should be served That's by right. the good news. So, I mean, you know, I, I don't know how we how we com- communicate um, that, but it, it's and I don't know where the the flaw the fatal flaw has been, but maybe it's just because we've decided to opt for a a um, propositional sort of kind of faith that says, if I got these things, there's not really much doing. And, and, and frankly, you know, checking off a list of things that, that I say I affirm doesn't, ha- doesn't really change me a lot. Right. Um, to move outside of the, the transactional theology um, uh, and, and into um, uh, orthopraxy, right practice um, versus uh, saying, all right, if I do this, then I get this. If I believe this, then I earn this. Um, that's, that's, uh, I think this, that, that we have all, the Christians have struggled with this. The church has struggled with this for a long time and uh, we continue to struggle with it in our time. And um, I know for, for preachers, that's the task to interpret um and live out the gospel of Jesus Christ in our time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of funny. I was listening, I was reading, I finished up a little book, um, Beverly Gavinta's little book, uh, uh, recent on Romans, and, and, and she uh, uh, tries to help us understand um, that difference, um, that if it were about, you know, a different way of thinking and a different transaction, um, <clears throat> you wouldn't have child soldiers. 
Yeah. But uh, th- but but child soldiers need to be rescued, delivered. Mm-hmm. Uh, they need they they need someone to come do for them something more than how about thinking about yourself differently. And, right. Uh, you know, they, they don't need therapy. They need rescue. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, you've given this. Uh, me a lot to think about you know my my uh, youngest daughter she she teaches a Sunday school class here and and so I called her up and I said hey I'm gonna interview Lori and and uh, you got any questions and uh, and she said she said well I I, I do have one I, I wonder how she overcame the stigma uh, in the church as a, as a young woman that uh, you can you're only supposed to do just a few things in the church, or, or only a few things are available to you in the church. How do you overcome, overcome that um, experience? Yeah, oh, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I to, uh, to keep it real, I'll say that's a continuing conversation. Yeah. That is a continuing conversation because it doesn't, it isn't, doesn't just involve me. And while I am confident uh in god's call and i have come to a place of of absolute trust that this um you know this uh i was raised raised to do this um it is i every time i put on a, a clergy collar every time i write something and my title of reverend is included uh somebody somebody says uh, something about my gender yeah. and um, how, um, you know, women are not supposed to speak in church. Right. Um, <laughs> um, and even, even when folks are well-meaning, actually one of the last times I was at the Capitol, I had my clergy collar on and, and a gentleman who was probably in his fifties said, what are you? <laughs> I said, <laughs> I, I'm a pastor. And he said, I've never seen uh, I've never seen a woman minister, and I think this is great. And it was a really positive interaction, really positive. But again, it was a it, it, in the the you know the whole the scheme of things. It, it's another like another time that I have to explain myself right. um, in a way. Um, and I uh, my hope, my my deepest hope, and I wear my clergy collar in public places on purpose. Um, so that people can get used to seeing not just a woman, but a, a, and, um, when people think of pastors, they think of old men. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's not just that I'm a woman, it's that, um, you know, I'm under 40. And so that's considered young clergy. Um, but to, to, um, so that, um, that, my story won't be repeated that some other woman won't have to wait until she's 24 and finally sees a woman in my, in a, in a pastoral role to, to, to recognize God's call. Um, and, uh, and you know, the other pieces surround yourself, uh, with, with, uh, folks, uh, who are who understand that we're all created in God's image, um, and that God does not God is not really involved in gender roles. <laughs> We've created a lot of those. We need boys to play with baby dolls because there may maybe daddies one day. Um, we need them to you know do pretend play in the, in a kitchen because they we're going to have to put dinner on the table for their family one day. Indeed. 
Um, and we're going to have to have women, you know, I want little girls to practice baptizing folks, you know, baptizing their friends in the swimming pool because they might do that one day as a pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so um, just, uh, you know, the, 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 just trust, trust that God knows what God is doing. Yes. Yes. Well, she'll enjoy that. <clears throat> she'll be encouraged by that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, I, uh, I, I don't want to uh, abuse the privilege of your time, and, and uh, I certainly appreciate you taking the time out to have a conversation with me, and, and I'm hopeful that, that uh, it'll be an encouragement to a lot of uh, young ladies, women, and uh, it'll, it'll prod a lot of us who think that pastors are just much old guys um, uh, to think, think twice uh, about that and what it looks like to be faithful to a call. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate this conversation. I, now I have more things to think about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, good. That, that, that's what, that's what really why I do this. I like thinking about these things, so it's easier for me to be in conversation. Then oh, yeah. uh, I, I tend to process things more verbally than I do uh, any other way, and so this is a, a big help to me too. Well, you are going to continue to collect stories, and, and we'll keep listening. Yeah, well, we will, and I'll keep listening to you. Appreciate it, Lori. Thanks, Todd. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye-bye. Hey, as always, I want to thank you for listening to Pathological, the podcast for the pastor theologian. You know, next week I'm going to have a conversation with uh, Eric Hall, and he had a, a, a piece he wrote about uh, the events surrounding the uh, uh, new governor uh, of Montana, Gina Fort, and I want to talk about uh, a thread, a thought he picked up that really kind of exposed or revealed some things about uh, we human beings and kind of the way we ought to maybe expand our understanding of violence. And so I look forward, as always, to have a conversation with uh, Eric Hall. And then I'm, I'm working to have uh, a couple of others lined up for June. And until those get confirmed, I don't want to throw them out there, but uh, you will find them uh, really helpful and, and I'm certain uh, could even be uh, quite entertaining. So uh, what, I'd, what I'd like to do is uh, encourage you again, if you might share the podcast, subscribe on your favorite uh, uh, podcatcher, and uh, just share the podcast. So until next time, this has been Todd Littleton with Pathological, the podcast for the pastor theologian. Peace. <laughs>